Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Why don't you give us a call? Our number is 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We always welcome your calls from wherever you may be. If you be here in town or anywhere in the state or anywhere in the country or there anywhere in the world. For that matter. <laughs> With the right code, you can get to us. There you go. Just give us a call. And, of course, I guess the big news today is all the weather right. that's going on pretty much all the way across the country. And I noticed when I drove in this morning to the show, I must have passed about 10, maybe 12, 15 cars that were sitting with their Submerged. emergency flashes on or, yeah, a lot of local flooding in certain intersections and right. such as that. When you get that much of a downpour of rain, that fast. we've got pretty good drainage here, but it just, it just tends to hang, back yeah. up. It can't. And... People a lot of times just don't realize that they can't drive through high water with a car. Your cars are water resistant. Right. They're not waterproof. They're, They're not, not waterproof, not submarines for sure. And one thing that just kind of stuck in my mind as I'm looking at these cars that are sitting here, and I'll, I'd say the vast majority of them, from what I could tell, have been modified in some way or another. And when Correct. I say that, either they'd been lowered or they had the big potato launcher exhaust right. on them or... They had big wheels on them, and I guess the only thing I'm going with all that is that when you start to modify a car in whatever way, and I know people like to do that, sure. and hey, that makes you happy, God bless you. I'm just telling you, when the factory builds a car, they try to test it for all the conditions they think it may ever operate under. Sure. And they engineer solutions to tons of things that you may not even be able to you know, when you're in your garage and you're thinking about putting this cool fresh air intake system and you read some magazine article where it's going to give you 20 more horsepower and it's going to do this, that, and the other, that's all wonderful and the sun's shining when you're doing it and you're putting it on there and you're yanking all this factory stuff off. But you don't stop to think that one day I may be on a road that's got high water. And even though I'm a pretty careful driver, the jerk that comes around me at right. 30 miles an hour creates a wake. The water washes up over my grill, and this system is not designed to keep that water out. Right. Most people don't realize, but there is a water chamber in an air intake system. A lot of them do. And, that and will drain a lot of water off before it can actually. A system and several baffles and just the positioning of it. They have taken these cars. They've run them through all kind of simulated sure. conditions. I mean, everything from putting them in an oven at 120 degrees to, to simulate the desert to minus yeah, minus 20 degrees below zero. And engineers do a very, very good job because they have an accumulation of knowledge. Mm -hmm. In other words, a car that they build now is not just a revolutionary thing. It's an evolutionary thing. Sure. They look at every car they've ever built, and they look at all the lessons learned over the last 100-plus years of building cars. And they engineer that into the, the well, new models. They start out with a lot of back knowledge. Right. And then they build on that, and they improve that as they go along, as new materials, new technologies come along. And so the car that you get from a manufacturer is generally going to be pretty safe from a standpoint, well, from a standpoint of safety, sure. at, number one, but also from a standpoint of running through moderately high water. Reliability. Reliability and all that. When you first go in and start to modify things, you're going to create other issues, or you have a big big propensity to create other problems sure 
you know, one thing we see an awful lot when we get just weird, weird problems. And the first thing you do is you ask, okay, what have you done to the car? Well, I didn't do anything to it. Okay, what repairs have been made? And most of the time they can't remember. But right. two years ago, they went in to check something. They unplugged a connector. And these connectors are built in such a way that they snap together so they can't come unplugged. Generally, there's some type of a rubber seal in there. Well, well, there is. In every connector, yeah, there's some kind of rubber seal. Some kind of weather-type seal in it. Inside the connector and where the wires go into the connector. Right. And what happens is they grabbed this thing. They got a little rough with it. They yanked it apart. The little rubber seal fell out on the ground. They didn't right. see it, didn't notice it. Maybe they plugged it back together. Well, now that connection is no longer watertight. Correct. So tomorrow when you're driving and the sun's shining, absolutely nothing happens. Maybe for the next two years. Who knows? Nothing really happens. But one day you go down a road with higher water like this morning, and it starts to get into that connector. Well, initially it doesn't do a whole lot because you got some copper pins in there and what have you. But that water gets in. Well, now corrosion starts to form. And some of the water evaporates out, but some of it doesn't. Of course. So now you got a 5-volt reference with 10 little connectors in there and a little bit of corrosion. That can affect things you could not even oh. begin to imagine. Right. You take that 5-volt reference and just skew it a little bit, mm-hmm. and you have messed up. You can essentially shut the vehicle down. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you figure if you got only 5 volts to start with and you lose one, you're down 20%. Sure. And there's no computer made that can operate 20% low on voltage. And very, very, very often we'll get people in who have had just an ongoing issue. And who knows, maybe the seat quits working or the inside lights quit working or maybe it dies, just driving along and dies. And if it's an intermittent problem where it occurs infrequently, there's almost no possible way to find this. Right, because it's an electrical problem and electricity works and it's either on or off. Right. So when you check it and everything's working, right. it all checks fine. Well, yeah, if it's working when you check it, you can check it till the cows come home. You can spend hours and hours and hours and it's just not going to show anything. It Correct. has to be under the condition that brings it on in order to see what What's the problem is. And we'll get people sometimes that say, well, my car dies. Okay, how often does this occur? Well, about once every two months. Well, right. You know, once every two months, it's going to be impossible I am not going to be able to find this. Well, what do you mean? Can't you just check everything? Well, you got to remember, there's probably a mile and a half of wires <laughs> on this car. Yeah. Most of them are taped up, tucked in, put under things. You right. have, I mean, it would probably cost $20,000 just to take this wiring harness out. Oh, yeah. And check Definitely. every part of it. Well, and you can remember back in the day when you and I were driving, we right. had carburetors. Mm-hmm. That was an everyday occurrence. Mm-hmm. You'd be driving along or pull up to a stop and the engine would die. Yeah. You'd reach over, crank, crank it back it up. up. Yeah. Go on. Well, people are a lot pickier now they because are. they don't have they that, don't have that thing problem happen a lot. And so when it does occur, especially yeah. if they're a younger driver, they may have never experienced a car dying on them. Right. And a lot of people say, well, it's dangerous. Okay. I grant you it is dangerous yeah. because when the car dies, the steering gets harder, the brakes are not as good. If you're in the middle of an intersection, it is a problem. Right. But the point is, the way that you have to deal with these problems is you don't go in and modify the car. You don't go in and start messing with things and creating these problems. Because once you do, it's going to be the devil to find them. Sure. And remember, we had a Buick that came in. And this gentleman had been tracing this problem for about four years. Okay. And eventually, it got to where it was a little more consistent. It got to where it would die about once a day mm-hmm. on him. And so I said, t- look, just leave the car with me, and we'll just continue to check it until we can find it. He didn't want to drive the car anymore. He, sure. he felt unsafe in it. And 
what we found was on the crank sensor where the wire plugs in, exactly what we were talking about before, someone had had that unplugged at some point in time. And when it did, they lost a little rubber O-ring in right, there. It fell out. Some water had gotten into it and had corroded the connector. And I mean, it's so small of a problem that you had to take this connector apart and take a loop, which is a magnifying type device, mm-hmm. look down in it, and you could see green around the two wires. Right. Well, cut the connector off, change the connector, problem fixed. So it took all of about a half an hour to, you know, to fix, to fix it. it, but it took it several took, weeks to find yeah, it. Yeah, it took a better, better part of a week to right. actually find it. Because you have to have instrumentation on it to see what the problem was. When it, it was occurring. This does not even set a code of any sort. So you have no idea, is this a fuel pump problem? Is this a crank sensor problem? Is this an injector problem? Is this so an ignition problem? Right. You don't even know where to start looking out of the hundreds and hundreds of systems on the car. And it just so happened that we did have instrumentation on it. We were driving the car. As it occurred, just happened to be looking down at the patterns. We had several patterns on the scope. And you can see the crank sensor start getting really, really funky. Mm-hmm. And then it dropped out. Well, okay, that we know at least the area to start looking in. Correct. So we go in and back probe the connector to test the sensor. When I did, it corrected. Mm-hmm. Pull the connector apart. And again, you literally had to take a loop to see this. It was down deep inside the connector, little tiny pins. You couldn't hardly see it. But at that point, the fix is pretty obvious. We cut it off, put a new connector, everything's good. But just trying to find something like that, I know it's frustrating to the customer, but it's frustrating for the shop also. It's just the fact that there are literally hundreds and hundreds of systems, thousands of wires, and if you test them and they're testing good, well, there's just nowhere to go from that. Right. In other words, if I plug into this thing, back probe this connector, and the signal is perfect. Then you don't... I, I can't take every single connector part and check and see maybe this was corroded. Right. I would eat up an inordinate amount of your time and money. Hey, we'll take a quick little break. we we'll be back with a whole lot more. Got to run, Paul. I'm heading to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it in once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems early. And they remind me of important upcoming maintenance. Things like oil changes, changing my timing belt, tire wear. Yeah. A general inspection each year would be a great thing for my marriage. Paul, thanks for bringing Marie in for her general inspection. Overall, she's in great shape. I did dial back her shopping system to save you a little money, and her nag button was stuck, so I loosened that up so you can work on your golf game and not those honeydews. As far as preventive maintenance, you've got a big anniversary coming up in April, so put that on your calendar, and I'd suggest flowers for no reason and more compliments. And Agco saved me thousands of dollars. Paul? Paul, are you listening? Oh, oh, yeah. Sorry. Sounds like I need to take Marie, I mean my car, into Agco for a general inspection. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us in the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And we've got Mark online. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, guys. How you doing? Doing great, doing great. sir. Good, good. Um, are you familiar with the 2AZ FE engine that Toyota made and the issues they've had with it burning loads of oil? Yeah, they did have a recall on that in the States where they would rebuild the engine for you up to a certain number of miles. Mark, I don't. it didn't happen on all of them. It happens on some of them. And in my opinion, I think they extended that oil change out way too far on it. It causes the rings to stick. 
But I know but, Toyota yeah, was okay. rebuilding a lot of those. Yeah, so there's a TSB. And I guess what I was trying to work out was whether it was all of those engines, 2AZFE, or whether... Because the TSB only lists a few applications, not all not all the cars that had that engine. But it would seem like the piston rings are probably the same on all of them. They probably are. And they do that for all sorts of reasons, Mark. I don't know exactly what judges why they do such and such and as oh, that different, yeah different yeah models. i remember the the chevy pickup trucks had a problem with the rear parking brakes not working right and so they recalled all the standard transmission cars or uh, trucks i guess reasoning you could put it in park and you need a parking brake which is kind of stupid to me but that's the what they system. did same exact system on all of them and you know ford did the same thing where they recalled certain models although they all use the same sensor that was giving problems and i yeah. guess they all do that i don't know what guidelines they use but uh, are you having a problem with that no no it's fine at the moment but from what i've read it starts to happen around the sort of hundred thousand mile mark and it, it can start using loads and loads and loads of work. yeah the ones that the ones that i have seen mark are the ones who are pushing their oil changes out really right. far and right. they're still within okay. toyota guidelines because i think toyota was saying you could go up to ten thousand miles between changes or something silly like that the yeah. ones that we maintain that we usually change all around 3,000 do not seem to have that problem at all or in very, very small numbers. I know we've got a number of customers who have those vehicles. And like I said, the people who have changed their all more frequently don't seem to have it. I, From what I've talked to people who work in the Toyota garage, I said they find the rings are stuck in the pistons just from buildup. Right. They stick and then they no longer function right, and they, they rebuild the engine. Right, right, okay. That sort of makes sense, because from what I was reading on uh, forums, people who were within the, because they extended the warranty, mm-hmm. rather than rather than assuming a recall, and the people who were going there to get the repair build done, uh, the repair done uh, they had to prove that they'd been changing the oil at certain intervals before Toyota to touch the car. Mm-hmm. So that, that sort of suggests... Yeah, and if you push right. it beyond the recommendation, right. you're really going to have to, because they've already got that pushed out so far. I mean, I don't know yeah. what the deal is with all these extended all changes. I mean, you're never going to save enough money on an all change to cover one repair. So I, I don't get the whole thing, but that, that's what yeah, people I do. I'm, I think I'm going to take your advice on that and change it 3,000. Yeah, I mean, particularly depending on your driving style, how far you go per trip. You know, if you're driving 100 miles every day one way, well, you could probably right. go a little longer. But if you're like most people and you're taking 5, 10-mile trips where it's really not getting the full operating temperature, that's the people who really have a lot of trouble. Oh, yeah, I was going to ask you another question about that. Sure. So, so suppose you change your oil and you go on a 1,000-mile trip, mm-hmm. it would, and then you go back to doing extreme service. It would seem to make sense that you could go to 4,000. You probably could. I did that not long ago. I changed my oil in my car, and I took a trip up to Virginia, and I put close to 3,000 miles in that one trip. Well, when I got back, the oil was like brand new because it had been running 500 miles a day, full operating temperature, highway speed, so yeah, under those cases you could push it out. You know, if you, if you if your conditions change, then your recommendation could change. But yeah, if you, if you put two thousand miles all on one trip, then you certainly don't have to change at three. But if your majority sure. of your driving is short trips, then yes, you do. And you need to re- you need to remember a good oil filter on that vehicle. Yeah, the factory oil filter is the one the engineer designed for that one. I'm sure there's there may be some better ones out, but that one is always always good. Going to be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, otherwise use the OEM one. What if you did that in the other way around? So say you did 3,000 miles of extreme service and then you were going on a 1,000-mile trip. Would you change it before you went or not? I would. I would. Yeah, because you don't want to have depleted oil while you're going on your trip. Go ahead and change it, and in the next trip, next thing around, you could extend it out slightly. Yeah, fair enough.
What do you guys pay for gas over there? It's, it's pretty, pretty reasonable right like, now, about two dollars and two and a quarter, two and a quarter a gallon, roughly. Wow. How about yourself? Eight dollars. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> and I can switch from a diesel to a gas car as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, I think there's, there's a pretty significant tax on gas in the United yeah. Kingdom, so that they. I don't know what they're doing with it. They're damn sure I ain't maintaining the road. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got the same problem yep. this side of the pond, my friend. <laughs> yeah, you, need, you need a bit more tax on your fuel. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks a lot. All right, Mark. All right. Thanks for calling me in. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, bye. That's Mark Wadham from... I think, I think he lives in London or the yeah. London area of the UK. Wow. $8 a gallon. Yeah. Ouch. I noticed when I've ever been in Europe, the fuel prices are very, very high, but I think they have a lot more taxation yeah. on their fuel. And I think part of it is they want to discourage the use of fuel sure. for, for any number of reasons. And I guess, who knows? I mean, that uh, would do it. Yeah, <laughs> that would definitely do eight, it for Eight me. bucks a gallon? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it really does. We sort of get spoiled. I remember in the United States when gas, I guess the highest I've ever seen, it got up to it was, around $4 a gallon. Yeah, it was a little over 4 One point in time. And, I mean, it was like a, people were screaming and hollering. And, yeah, it was it was almost a nightmare. Well, you know, the United States has always been one of the major oil producers in the world. Uh-huh. So, consequently, we've enjoyed fairly low sure. and fairly. Uh, and then we have a refinery right here in town. So, we get a little bit, a little bit of a break, but I don't true. think it's much. Well, if you go from Baton Rouge to even like Gonzales, you'll notice that the fuel prices are a little higher there. Right. I guess because they have to transport it over there, or maybe I don't know, I don't know. whatever <laughs> reasons. Of course, in New Orleans, they they run about the same. Yeah. as Baton Rouge. Well, that's not too bad. Yeah. Who, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we got a yeah. I got a missed call. Right? Yeah, <laughs> misrouted call. Hey, yeah. But we were talking just a little bit. About some of the issues that come up from wiring issues. And uh-huh. you were talking about a Dodge truck. Right. That- we had a vehicle come in, and the customer couldn't leave it and let it sit till the, the problem would occur. And he had a, a several other things that were going on with the vehicle. So we, we fixed those, and we let it sit. And sure enough, we got it to act up in the shop, went and plugged the instrumentation to it, and we found a coolant sensor that was not reading correctly Mm -hmm. and with a coolant sensor showing under temperature what it the computer will do is it thinks the engine's cold right so it will double pulse the injectors which which basically basically floods the engine a warm engine yeah right and it wouldn't wouldn't start it would crank it would crank over but it wouldn't start Mm -hmm. so we found the coolant temperature sensor and the wiring harness was damaged right at the the connector so somebody probably somebody had been in there right skint these wires back i was able to change the pigtail change the sensor the new reading, of course, the engine was already at temperature. Right. But the new reading was correct. It wasn't skewed like the old reading was. But we really don't know if we fixed the well, vehicle. this begs the question, did you fix the problem or did you fix a problem? Correct. Because it is also, I guess, fairly likely that this screwing-up wiring harness could have touched those wires together, could have burnt the computer out. Sure. Very so easily. So you may have a damaged harness and a bad computer right and if you don't have because the vehicle has to be completely cold has to sit overnight before you can even check it again correct and the customer couldn't leave it with it can't leave it with you so in those cases the only thing you can do is explain that look we found this This problem problem. this is a problem we can repair this but you have to understand there could be additional problems correct and you can't get mad at the shop. Well, they charged me this much and i still got the same problem well yeah but this is a process of trying to find this thing 
unless you can just leave the car until the problem occurs again. Right. Well, and what happens with this, it has to be completely cooled down, Correct. which means sit overnight. So if you go in and you find something, you repair that. It has to sit at least overnight before you can even check it again, and then you have to occur again. Correct. Now, the problem is you fix this connector, and since it doesn't happen every day, it only happens every once in a while, you let you it sit overnight right. for a week, crank, right. and it cranks up. But sometimes it was cranking up with the broke Correct. problem they had. So you just never know for certain had you fixed it or did you just find a problem. Because many times there may be more than one problem. Other times one problem brings on another. Brings sure. on another. Like the harness being stripped back, if these wires happen to touch, it could easily knock out the computer. And computers don't just necessarily fail, just dead. Right. They may start intermittently acting up because only under certain conditions do those drivers actuate. So you just never really know for certain if you fixed anything or if you... <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, especially with electrical problems. Yeah, a very, very frustrating thing. Let's see if we can catch one more call for the break. We got Kevin online. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, Lewis and Brian. It's Kevin from West Virginia. Hey, Miss yeah. Kevin. How you doing, sir? Good morning. I'm doing really well, actually. I had a couple questions for you, you real quick, if you don't mind. You bet. Uh, first one, we have a 2006 Lincoln Town Car, and the battery had been uh, taken off or replaced, and since then, the airbags on the back won't uh, air up, and the radio won't turn back on. I've been told you have to actually have like a, you know, the Ford uh, scan tool to reprogram that or to get that uh, to get that airbag back on. Yeah, I've not the run radio. across that where I, I have to reprogram either. anything on that one. There is a switch in the trunk. You you did check, make sure that switch didn't get turned off any kind of way, huh? Yeah, I'll have to check that. I uh, I thought that there was a switch, but I didn't see it. I, then again, I had it, to it should be it. on. I think it's but on the left hand side, driver's up. side, about halfway yeah. up the wall. Yeah, in the, the side, side panel, panel or over the tire area. Check that. And make sure that didn't okay. get turned off some kind of way. Usually, if that's turned off, it tells you on the dash. It get, turns on the air suspension light. Air suspension light will be on. Right. It did. Yeah, it just said uh, check air suspension. Right. Right. Okay. Well, check that, that is one first. Cause. Yeah. The only other thing I can think of, Kevin, that. Pump and all is down kind of below the battery on a lot of those models. I no, see Brian, Brian shaking his head on that one. <laughs> the pump is on the driver's side okay. underneath the air box. Okay. It's fairly easy to get to. You take the air box out and it's sitting right there, but you got to unbolt it from underneath the car. Okay. There's a relay in the box, several fuses. I mean, it could have popped, a, it could have blown a fuse right. when the battery went dead or who knows. That's okay. th that's where yeah. I would start. Well, I would check the fuses first. Check, well, the, check switch the switch first and first. the fuses. Then check the, the fuses and the relay. Yeah, that's about the, okay. the biggest of it. Okay, yeah, I appreciate it. I'll, I'll definitely check that for sure. The other one, too, is we have a 2-liter turbo Regal. I we had, had, we had had the oil changed on it, and it sat for a while. Uh, my parents go down to Florida every winter. Mm -hmm. And uh, whenever I had checked the oil, it looked like there was way too much oil, like twice as much oil in that car. So they took it to the dealership because it uh, was still, you know, kind of under warning and everything. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, it just looks like they put whoever did it last put too much oil in it, so we'll change it again. They did, and now that we look again, it looks like it's going right back up to where it was. I'm not sure that there's gasoline in it, but my father said he thought he smelled some gasoline well, in that oil. Well, the two and biggest concerns I would have, Kevin, normally when oil level rises like that, and it was correct before, then that means something else is getting into the oil, either right. coolant normally or gasoline. And if you have an injector or something stuck open, it can certainly get in the crankcase and raise that level. Uh, coolant can also do the same thing, you know, if, if, if you got a coolant leak somewhere. Are you losing any coolant? Uh, I don't believe so. Hmm. That's, that's the thing that's kind of weird about it is, 
we're not seeing yeah. anything out of the ordinary. But I, I was worried about that because, you know, you usually have about a one-court area there yeah. where it goes from low to full on most cars. And on this, it made it look like it was three or four quarts high. I mean, it was way up on that dipstick. Now, how long and, uh, after you turned the car? How long after you turned the car off were you checking the all? How long did it sit to you before uh, you checked? I actually checked it before. Well, I was actually checking it before it was uh, before I. So started it had been sitting for a good while. Yes. Okay. Yeah, because I've seen cases where like the PCV system would malfunction, and pressure in the crankcase will force okay. all up the dipstick tube, and it'll read wrong uh, okay. if you check it right after it's running but i mean if it sits there overnight it's going to bleed yeah. back down to the correct level sure but that is another yeah, possibility well and that's the thing it's still under warranty so we definitely want to get it figured out and oh yeah absolutely I wish you guys were up around this area <laughs> 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 find out what's going on you know and get it done you know get it fixed yeah but, uh, guys I, I sure appreciate it well you I bet so much for answering the call today oh but you bet you man How, how's the weather up in west virginia Right now, I think it's about uh, 78 degrees okay. and sunny. No, not a lot sunny. of rain. Yeah, we're getting a tremendous amount of rain in our area. So, I'm definitely, I'm definitely coming down that way at some point. <laughs> Maybe I'll just come down and get tires on the. There you go. There you, you go. Know, you, you guys will put tires on the way. Oh yeah, you, you need to come on down before it gets too hot. <laughs> there you go. Make it next month hey, guys, or so. Thank yeah. You so much. All right, Kevin. Thanks, man. <laughs> All right. Take care. Bye bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would certainly love to have you. If people can call from London, England, and West Virginia, yeah, then you can call from Baton Rouge. That's right. <laughs> hey, take a second, quick little break. Be right back with a whole lot more. Kate, we can shop tomorrow. I'm off to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems before they become huge repairs down the road. You know, things like small rattles and shakes can become issues and you never can be too... A general inspection each year would be great for my marriage. Kate, thanks for bringing David in for his general inspection. Overall, he's in pretty good shape for an older model. I replaced his sensitivity regulator, which was getting a little worn. His not listening to my partner and leave the seat up lights were both about to come on, so I fixed that. As far as preventive maintenance, more fiber, less beer, and watch his portion control, especially on the weekends. And thank goodness for Agco. Kate? Kate, are you listening? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Sounds like a general inspection from Agco can improve my marriage. I, I mean vehicle. Uh, improve my vehicle. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We sure appreciate you spending Saturday morning with us. If you got a question or a comment about the show, you give us a call, 291-6901. Get you right straight to us. And right now is the best time, or I should say the, the perfect time, there you go. to call, get your questions answered live. But should you happen to miss your prime opportunity this morning, you can always go to our website and get your questions answered that way, 24 hours a day. The website is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact button on each and every page. Just click the button. A little form's going to pop up. Just fill out the form and send it on in. Couldn't be any easier than that. And I generally get to those at least once a day, sometimes twice a day. So it won't be too, too long getting an answer back. There you go. And I'll try to help you out and point you in the right direction. That's what Maybe we do. Keep you from making a mistake. You're kind of like Kevin was asking or saying on that air suspension uh-huh. on the lincoln town car he says you go on the internet and people talk about reprogramming but i don't think that module even requires programming i can't we remember running have across seen one. so very very few problems with that 
particular system. That is one system. That module just gives almost no trouble at all. Right. The, the biggest component in that system that gives trouble is the rear airbag. Well, they're, they're suitable for it, yeah. That is the, the biggest thing. And if you catch it early, you can save the pump. Right. If, if you let it go and let it go, it, and the pump keeps running and times itself out several times, it will take the pump out with it. Well, it will. And what it does, that little pump is designed for about maybe a 2% duty cycle. If it starts running 15 20% of the time, first thing, it's compressing air. Air's full of moisture. It's sure. got a little dryer on it, but you can overload that dryer real fast right. because it's not designed to move that volume of air. When it does, you're getting moisture into the motor, which is going to start corroding the piston and all that. Plus, you're going to start getting build up and everything, and then the pump's going to fail. Right. And the bags on the car, people say, oh, they're bad about going out. Well, no, they last 10, 12, 14 years, whatever. Sure. But like any piece of rubber, it's a consumable part of the car. Right. It's going to wear out. It's going to dry rot. When it does, it's going to start to leak. And the first symptom you're going to get is either you're going to wake up in the morning, your car's going to be kind of squatting down the rear, you crank it up, it goes back up. Right. Or you can start hearing the pump run more often. If you and start hearing that pump run, it's running too much. Right. A lot of those pumps sit on a rubber cushion. And when those pumps get there again, when they get older, cars get older, the little cushions wear out. Right. And then the pump set down metal to metal, and you'll really hear it start making It'll really noise. start making racket. And if it's supposed to run for 15 seconds once every other day, that's one thing. But if it starts running for a minute and a half every, every day, day, that's yeah. going to be a lot more noticeable. But the point is, if you will catch those bags when they are about to fail, replace the rear airbags, mm -hmm. seal the system back up, the rest of us could probably last life of the car. Sure. And you can't just roll underneath the car and look at the airbag, look at the air spray. Right. Because the part that fails is up inside. That bag kind of rolls over it's itself. It's a fold. Right. So what you'll have to do is turn the system off, jack the vehicle up by the body so the suspension right. hangs down. Get under the frame, let the suspension hang down. Then you can look at the entire airbag because when the suspension stretches down, it will pull unfold. The, it'll unfold the bag, and you can see the cracks and stuff starting in the Well, in the, the cracks fold. always form in the folded section because, because that's, that's where it flexes. That right. constantly flexes. The part that you're looking at with the car sitting on level ground doesn't hardly move that That much. doesn't move virtually at all because all the movement is in the folded area. It, right. it pushes in, pushes out as the car goes up and down. So it's sort of obscured from your view unless you know how to check it. Right. And not a bad idea if you don't see any really big cracks. If you see big cracks, then clearly sure. you have to replace it. If you don't see any, you might take some soapy water, kind of uh -huh. like the stuff you use to check air conditioners. Even. Sure. Spray that on it and see if there's any air coming out anywhere because any leak there is going to stress that system to death because it's designed to only come on a few seconds put the pressure in the system, and then hold. Right. So it doesn't have to run all the time. The little pump is just not designed to run continuously. It's got a solenoid at the top of each one of those air springs that the pump turns on, builds the pressure up in the line. The computer turns the solenoid on, which opens the valve, which fills the bag. But when it gets ready to shut off, it closes the solenoid. So the bag Then it turns are, the pump off. The, the bags are isolated from the system. Correct. So if it's leaking with the system off, it's then, not going to be anything past the bag because the bag is isolated from, from the, the system. system. Correct. So at most of the time, you can have a bad bag. It's sure. possible you can have a bad solenoid or seals on the solenoid. Seen but if happen. the car drops down overnight, then it's not going to be the pump or any of that sort or of thing. Or the lines going to or it. Or the lines, although they can be bad as well. But it's going to be isolated to that bag because once those two solenoids close, that is separated from the rest of the system. Right. And the way that system is designed, you got a bag on each side of the car. They hold equal pressure 
They both hold the well. They connect to each other when the when the sonar is open, so they equal self equalizing. Right, but if one bag starts leaking, the whole back of the car is going to come down. Right. It's not just going to be one side. Well, it's going to drag the back of the car down. The sonars are going to open to raise it up, and so then it's going to equalize back out. So Correct. both sides are going to go down. Right. You know, if one side gets start to go down, it's going to equalize itself because the two lines in the rear are teed into each other. Mm-hmm. Although they're isolated, the sonars don't open independently. No, both rear sonars open or close. When they open, then the two bags are tied together. The pressure equalizes. So even if one bag is empty and one's full, all the pressure is going to run to the empty one. Right. So the whole back is going to drop. So it can be a little confusing if you don't understand how it works. Mm-hmm. If you do understand how it works, it's pretty much a piece of cake. Sure. And there are a number of special tools, and the Ford Scan tool is extremely handy because it allows you to energize the solenoids through the computer. It allows you to raise it, command it up, command it down. You can run a self-check on it. Test the sensors. Right. It's even tied into the doors where when one door opens or closes, that's how it knows passengers are getting in the vehicle. So it does different fill rates and stuff depending on how many passengers are in the car. In other words, if it thinks that only a driver is in the car, it's going to do one thing. If it thinks there's four people in the car, it's going to do something different. Sure. And it's all built into the module, but it takes inputs from all the doors. It takes inputs from, like, the steering and that, but it's sort of a rudimentary sort of a system. But under hard maneuvering and stuff, it may tighten those bags up slightly, Mm -hmm. even under, in several different conditions. Primary input to it is height. It's got a height sensor in the back. So if you put four people and four pieces of luggage in the car, when it would go down in the back normally, this system is going to pick that up. It's going to bring it back to a comfortable, normal height. And... It's a lot of complexity, but I got to say, those cars ride oh, man. better they, they, than just about oh, any yeah. car on the road. They do. That air spring really gives that car a nice ride. It does, and it's not that expensive to maintain so long as you do your due diligence. Right, and you understand. repair it when it breaks. Don't keep pushing it. We get the cars in sometimes, and it's been squatting down for the last six months. Now it's like down all the time, and it needs every piece of the system. Sure, He's the bags are burned up. Burn up the pump. He's burnt up the bags, all this kind of stuff. So he's looking at a sizable repair. Well, the first thing most people do pop on the internet, and they find some system to convert it over to a mechanical system with springs. Uh-huh. Man, you're, just, you're taking a marvelous piece of engineering, and yeah. you are just absolutely butchering the car. It kills the light's going to be on forever. It's going to ride bad. It's going to cost you probably half as much as fixing it right would cost. Mm-hmm. Probably the same as fixing it right would have cost for you to fix it a little sooner. Sure. But those air springs aren't that expensive. Well, no. But what you're doing is you are preempting everything this engineer put in, all the money you spent on this car. Right. Because, because of the way you like good. the way it rode and all that. You're circumventing all that by putting this botched-up system on there. Yep. You're going to have a light on you forever because you can't get rid of it. Right. You know, it's Class 2 serial data. It's coming over a network, and it's got an LED. It's not a It's a message center. It's not a light bulb, and you can't take the light bulb out. <laughs> so the point is, if you act preemptively, it's not going to be that big a deal. Right. You and can save that. $800 pump. Right. You're not butchering the car up. Mm-hmm. I had a gentleman called or emailed this morning, and he was talking about, he says his air condition on his Honda quits cooling when he comes to a stop. Okay. But when he's going down the road, it works fine, and he didn't get into detail, but it sounds like he's probably been driving it around this way for a while. Most of the time, what causes that is the condenser fan has quit working. Sure. Either the motor's burned up or something. And when you're sitting still, there's no airflow through the condenser. But when you're driving down the road, you've got 60-mile-an-hour wind coming through it. That is correct. And with no airflow going through the condenser, the head pressure on the compressor is going sky high. Correct. Which is stressing the devil out of that compressor. 
So what happens is if you continue to drive it, the high pressure is going to take out the compressor. It may rupture the evaporator. And you've taken about a four or $500 repair and turned it into a $3,000 repair. Very easily. Just by continuing to drive the car in that damaged condition. So it's like most things. It's not going to get better. It's not like a sore thumb. It's not going to heal. Well, and what most people see is, hey, the air conditioner quit working. Right. We, don't, we don't understand why. So they go in and they fix all this stuff, put a new compressor, new lines, new well, evaporator. Absolutely. Still worst have case, a bad fan. Worst case, they take it to the neighbor and the neighbor squirts some more refrigerant in it. Well, That's, it was already over pressure. Right. It only holds 12 ounces. And the so whole now system, it's got, now it's got 24 ounces. Yeah. Now you blew the whole system to pieces. And still hadn't fixed the fan. And still hadn't fixed the original problem, and you destroyed the entire system. Right. So... Let's see if we can sneak another call right. in for our final break. We got Wallace online. Good morning, Wallace. Good morning, Lewis. Hey, uh, man. You're talking about airbags on suspension. Mm -hmm. Made me think about since you're such an advocate of holding on to older cars, mm -hmm. what is the average life expectancy of your internal airbags? You know, your um, safety airbags. Those are basically designed to last the life of the car, Wallace, with one exception. Most of them have what they call a diagnostic energy reserve module. And what that is is sort of a battery pack that's built into the computer. In the eventuality that it got a hard enough impact that it ripped the battery out of the car, that provides enough energy to fire the airbags. That will inevitably go bad. That battery will die. When it does, the light will come on. Unfortunately, depending on what kind of car you got, they're discontinuing a lot of those. So it's not going to be a part that's available. Now, I don't know if someone in the aftermarket may devise a method of coming in and replacing the battery in or not. There's nothing you can do in the field because it's a sealed unit. But the airbags themselves are pretty much going to last the life of the car unless there's an issue. I can remember when, I, when they first started coming out with the airbags. Back in the 1970s, they had used some airbag systems, some cars. Very early. Very early. 70s. Right. And... There was just no consumer demand for it, so they sort of dropped it. But when they start redeveloping these, they started looking for some of these old cars. Went into the junkyard, found some old 70-model Chevrolet Impalas, which were old police cars yeah. that had been sitting in a junkyard for about 15 years, put a battery in it, put it all back together, crashed the car, boom, bags came out perfectly. So it's a pretty robust system. I wouldn't suspect a whole lot of problems with any of the components in that other than that diagnostic energy reserve, which might be a moot point. Okay. Well, that's what I was curious about is there's a time when you really ought to get rid of a car just because they're fairly expensive to replace. They so, are. Um, they are. And, and you they're know, getting more and more my other ops, My yeah. other take on that, Wallace, is that they're not really what I consider a got-to-have sort of system. I know some people are going, oh, it's safety. Well, okay, yeah, but if you use your seatbelt, you use your shoulder harnesses, you're probably going to be just about as safe as you'd be with them. And I know somebody's going to scream and holler about me saying that, but we drove I've, cars for 75 years without airbags in them. <laughs> I've, I've heard that argument yeah. both ways. Yeah. The entire time anybody ever brings up an airbag. Right. You know, you got the person that will not use it, hates it, and then you got the person that loves it. And Yeah. So just, it just depends on yeah. your particular thoughts about a car. Yeah, that's true about a lot of the it is um, a lot of add-on technology in a car rather mm -hmm. even um anti-locking brakes sometimes right, right. well and when you Both start to road track and you know right when you start to mention safety then everybody freaks out and the lawyers get involved and blah 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 and but then, then you're in trouble yeah you just got to have common <laughs> sense about it i guess <laughs> even the, even worse the legislators get involved there you oh, go yeah. <laughs> you're right i know i get you going with that yeah buddy <laughs> all right wallace thanks man 
catch you later. Okay, All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, take our final quick little break. Be right back with a whole lot more. Welcome. I am the great fondue, automobile fortune teller. Sit. I'm hoping you can tell me if I have any big car repairs looming in my future. Ah, I see you among many cars, stopping and going. Yeah, Baton Rouge traffic. Now you're making a left turn. Hands, ten and two. Nice form. Uh, thanks? Now you're stopped at a light. Look, you're just naming things I do every day. I want to know if my car is going to break down anytime soon. If you're hoping to gaze into your car's future, Agco suggests bringing in your vehicle once a year for a general inspection. Agco gives you an honest opinion on the maintenance needed to keep your car running and save you money on big repairs in the future. Craig Fondue, you should try another profession instead of a car fortune teller. Well, I was a mechanic at one of those quick lube places, and believe me, I'm actually a better fortune teller. Well, that's scary. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any questions you may have. Give us a call. we still got a few minutes. Our number is 291-6901. There you go. And, you know, Wallace was talking a little bit about, like, airbags and the cost of repairing them mm-hmm. and possibly that being an issue with keeping a car a long time. But, I mean, technically, most of the newer cars – Probably the airbags will be the least of your problems. Right. As soon as one of the major modules goes down and they no longer supply it. So the whole strategy of buying a car and keeping, keeping it, it for, for a so long, long, long time is sort of going away. And I don't know what the new strategy is going to be. We just got to see right. how it goes because it depends on factors that are out of our control. But with all the new technology on the cars, as it starts to age and they start to make parts not available, it's pretty much going to be game over. Sure. It's not going to be like in the old days where you could restore a car and keep it going pretty much forever. Well, or you could do without a certain system. Right. You know, that's not going to, because all this stuff is talking on a serial bus line now, and if one module can't communicate, the rest of them just kind of go dumb, I would well, yeah, a better word. And, lack of a better term. Well, a good example of that is like on all your later model General Motors products, if the check engine light's on, the cruise control is going to quit working. Right. Because it says, okay, there's a problem on the system. We're going to shut the cruise down. We don't want the car running away. And there are other things like that where, for instance, on Toyotas, when check engine light pops on, the trash control light is mm-hmm. going to come on for the most part because it can't communicate any longer. And trash control depends on the PCM. Correct. Code stored. It doesn't work. And on and on and on it goes. They're more and more and more interdependent one among another. Right. So when something like the instrument cluster goes down it may shut the entire car down because it's all communicating through there and if ford or someone like that who is starting obsolete parts after five or six years or six years now i mean you got a car 10 years old instrument cluster goes out you can't get another one it's a great big paperweight yeah you got nothing pcm bcm any of those major components right. go down and you can't get another or worse still you can't get the calibrations to program because you might a find that. another one somewhere. Right. A lot of that's going away. Yeah. They just discontinue the port for the car. And, and the, the used ones out there will not marry to the. No. It, to a different you model. Program it one time. It can be, it can program one time and then it's. It locks out. Yeah. It's pretty much all the addresses have to match. And that's burned into the memory. So it's done once. It's done. You can't Correct. get into it again. And as soon as you plug this unit in, it sees those IPs don't match. It's shut down. It's not going to work at all. 
So you can't go and get a used one and put in. It's got and to in, be a brand new one in unprogrammed state. And in some cases, if you do happen to find one and go through that process, when you figure out it doesn't work, you plug your old one back in. And it may it, not work. It still work. won't work. <laughs> yeah, so, and what happens, too, is even if you could find, let's say you search around or you get somebody to rebuild the old computer, mm-hmm. if you can't get the calibration to reprogram it, Right, which is probably the next thing that's going to be coming down the road where the manufacturers just discontinue this information. You no longer support the ability to program this car. Well, that information's not out in the field anymore. Mm-hmm. It's online. Right. And as soon as it goes away online, it's done. You know, you're not going to find some guy that still has the information in a shop somewhere that can, can program it for you. Well, the way scan tools used to operate is that it was a standalone tool and it had a lot of the information in the tool itself. Correct. Whereas what we get now is a laptop with a subscription to, to the manufacturer with a adapter to adapt to the car. Right. But all the information resides on the cloud somewhere and belongs to somebody else. Sure. All you're paying for is the right to use it. And when they decide they don't want you to have it any longer, well, then that scan turn. tool quits working, which virtually you can't communicate with the car any longer. Right. And again, on the older cars, they had a lot of features on them, but a lot of them were expendable sorts of things. They were. But on the newer stuff, it's also interdependent. For instance, when you start getting into, like, active cruise control where it's sensing lane change and it's shutting the car down, which is tied into the braking system and all that, well, now, when the cruise control quits working, it's not just a matter of... Yeah, we just won't use it no more. ...or $10 fuse. You know, it's generally going to be a $3,000 repair, and if it doesn't work, it may just shut the car down because it senses that there's an obstruction in front of the car... When there's not, well, it's going to shut the car down. It's going to apply, apply the, the brakes. brakes and all these sorts of things. And so these technologies, if you like them, if you find them useful to you, that's great. But you have to revisit the whole process of how long are we going to own cars. Right. Because some of the cars that they're building now, just I don't, yeah, trying I, to project forward, I can't see them going 20 I, years. I, I can't either. You know, you may get a five, seven, ten-year service life out of them. And at some point thereof, they're going to become so expensive to maintain or not available to maintain that you would be pretty much forced into another vehicle. And, of course, your trade-in's gone. Yeah, well, it doesn't work. It doesn't run. It doesn't run, so it's not worth anything. It's not worth much of anything. And who knows, maybe somebody is right around the corner with something we don't know about that's going to change this. You can only hope. Uh, Exactly. (laughs) Because I like to buy a car that's three or four years old and then keep it 20 years beyond that. Oh, definitely. And not, you know, I prefer to spend my money taking my wife on a cruise or going on vacation somewhere, doing things that I enjoy doing, not paying car notes. And, you know, you and I learned the same way. Right. The old man, he bought a car and he drove it till he couldn't drive it anymore. That's right. And he went and got another one. That's the way we learned as we grew up. And that's the way I still operate today. Well, yeah. I get a car. I've got an 18-year-old vehicle at the house right now. It runs just fine. Mm-hmm. I'll drive it till it quits running. Right. If it quits running, I can still fix that car. Yeah, and cars to me were not ever really a big thrill or something I really wanted. It's just a way to get point A to point B. Sure. And some people don't think about it that way. Some people like a new oh, car. Oh, yeah. And, hey, oh, yeah, fine. That's great. More power to you. But if you don't, then you got to think things a little bit different way. Sure. Hey, we got to get on out of here. Tell everybody, I much appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, find a written review, and fill it out for That's us. That's right. If you can't find a written review, just go to Google and fill out one for the shop. We'll appreciate that just as much. Yes, we will. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.